You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. On June 6th, 1944, Allied forces engaged in the largest seaborne invasion in history upon the beaches of Normandy, right? History nerds, you know what I'm talking about, right? I have to look it up in books. Some of you guys know this. This is what we call D-Day, right? Originally, it was called Operation Neptune, but now we refer to it as D-Day, and people worldwide on June 6th like reacted as if the Second Great War had ended. And, and, and even today, right, like we can kind of casually talk as if D-Day was the day that World War II was the end on that date. But in reality, of course, the war was not over. You guys know this, right? The war waged on for another 335 days. That's 11 months and one day, almost a full year, all the way up to May 7th of 1945, nearly a full year before what we now know as VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. Now, D-Day was, and it still is important, right, because a significant beachhead was established in enemy-occupied territory that, that kind of turned the tide of the whole war and paved the way to victory. It was, it was clear to everyone, in, including the Nazis at that time, that, like, this is the end of the end, or it's the beginning of the end, rather. It was only a matter of time. Now, imagine for just a moment, get your imagination caps on, And imagine that you were living in, say, like Nazi-occupied Poland at the time. June 6th comes. How might you have reacted to that news? You're far inland. The enemy is still all around you. You're still living in fear. But but you hear this news of this beachhead that has been established, right? That, That liberation is coming. How might you have reacted? How might you have have celebrated? Would you have celebrated very openly? Would you have done it a little more quietly, like behind closed doors? What, what relief or hope might you have felt in your heart and in your mind and in your body when you heard this news? How might the world just like look a little bit brighter as you walk outside, right? Now, I mean, not on days like today. There's, there's no walking outside and it looking brighter. But what would the world have felt like? How might you just begin living differently as you wait for that inevitable and ultimate victory to come? Something would be different. You'd have a little more pep in your step or sparkle in your eye, as they say. Now, what we're going to talk about today is that just like those living in enemy-occupied territory between D-Day and VE Day, We, as human beings, are living between the times. This is an interesting phrase. We're living between the times, between the first coming of Jesus at his birth, his death, his resurrection, and his second coming as king over all creation, where he's going to defeat every sin and death once for all and and put everything to rights. We're living between the times. And this has huge, huge implications for how we live, that we can live with a little more pep in our step and sparkle in our eye. And, and specifically today, what we're going to took, look at is, is how this might influence how we pray. We're in this message series during Lent called Lord Teach Us to Pray. And in this series, we're, 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 t- we're walking through the Lord's Prayer as, as like a model and as inspiration for our own prayers. 
And, and what we're also doing is we're sharing like different forms or different prayer practices or approaches to prayer that, that we hope will kind of help you guys out as you develop your own ongoing conversation with God. And so would you guys begin by praying with me? Why don't you stand with me? We, the last few weeks, we've been doing the Lord's Prayer at the end. We're going to do it today at the beginning, and we're going to pray this together, right? Because when the disciples approached Jesus and asked him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray, this is what he gave them. He didn't give them a whole huge long sermon, right? He didn't, didn't give them a whole like uh, explanation of it. He just led them in praying. And so this morning, would allow the Lord to lead you in praying again this morning. Join with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Lord, we also ask that by your spirit that you would help us to hear your voice this morning. As people who desperately need to learn how to pray more, as people who sometimes want to pray more, as sometimes people who we're not sure how to pray more, Spirit of God, would you just come and would you open up the eyes of our heart and open up our ears that we might hear you differently, that we might see you differently that whatever barriers there might be between us and you in prayer, that you would begin to tear those down. Yeah, let us hear your voice today, Lord. May your voice speak much more loudly than my own. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Now today, in the third, third message in this series, we're, we're focusing on this phrase in the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. He goes on, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and to be honest, like this, this is a phrase that we might be so familiar with, right? Even if we haven't been in church very long, sometimes this is just a phrase we can be really, really familiar with that it's worth trying to define a little bit by asking some questions, right? Like, like what is a kingdom? And, and like, what relevance does the idea of a kingdom have for people living in political systems like that aren't a monarchy, right? Like we, I mean, we don't have a kingdom here, in our country at least. But then, like, what did Jesus mean when he starts talking about the kingdom of God? Or if you read Matthew's gospel, he, he says the kingdom of heaven. It's just a more Jewish way of saying it. What does Jesus mean when he talks about the kingdom? Um, what then in just like popular culture today, what do Christians mean when they talk about the kingdom of God? We can hear that around like all over the place. It's in songs and it's on book covers and things like this all over. And then, and then, like, well, what does it mean then? What are we really asking for when we pray what we just prayed? Let your kingdom come. It's dangerous to pray prayers that other people wrote, particularly the ones that Jesus gave us, because we might be asking for something that we might not actually be prepared for. Now it'll be good. 
But what do we even mean when we're asking, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Um, As a vineyard church, just so you guys know, if you're a little bit new to the vineyard, this phrase and this theology of the kingdom of God, it's like sort of our bread and butter. It's sort of been baked into our DNA from like the late 70s onward. It's just sort of at the core of, of why and how we do all the various things that we do. So it's important for us to understand what the kingdom is as well as what the kingdom is not. Now, here's the best like shorthand that I know uh, to, to give you for the kingdom. Kingdom of God means the active rule and reign of God. The kingdom of God is the active rule and reign of God. Um, God's kingdom, what this means then is not, God's kingdom is not a geographical region, right? So if that's coming into our minds when we think kingdom, it's not a geographical region. The God's kingdom is not an earthly political system. So if we're, we're thinking in terms of politics, that is not what the kingdom of God is, is aiming to do. Um, God's kingdom is not the church, right? Over history, there have been times that, that we've gotten super spiritual and we think that any time that, that the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, that means like the church, capital C, It's not. It's bigger than even that. Uh, God's kingdom also, it's not a disembodied disembodied existence that we are hoping for in the afterlife. That is also not God's kingdom. Rather, God's kingdom is, is wherever and whenever God's good will is accomplished and implemented. And this can be anywhere, anytime that, that he gets his way. Any little moment, if it's a small thing, if it's a huge thing, anywhere, anytime that God gets his way. And so in terms of praying, right, this is really, this is really fun when we pray because when we pray, let your kingdom come, it's, it's just another way of saying, let your will be done. Jesus already started to kind of say it a different way, right? Let your kingdom come. You could also say, let your will be done. We could go on to pray, God, may your desires be fulfilled. God, may your good purposes be realized in reality. God, may your dreams come true. This is what we're praying. So this is a big deal, right? The kingdom of God, anywhere, anytime that God's will is accomplished, whether big or small, whether obvious or hidden. Now, furthermore, I think it's also important to note that the central message of Jesus was about the arrival of the kingdom of God. It is impossible to read any of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and and not see this. Now, I did for about like 23 years or so, 23, 24 years, I read the gospels a whole bunch, completely missed this. But you know how it's like once you see something, you can't unsee it? You know, like you buy a new car and suddenly everybody has like, you know, an Altima? Like, where did all these Altimas come from? I thought I was so unique. <laughs> the central message of Jesus was the kingdom of God. Jesus mentions the word kingdom over 120 times in the Gospels. And, and then more than just that, he, he both proclaimed it and he demonstrated the active rule and reign of God. He didn't just talk about God as king. He acted as if God was king. 
over the entire world. He didn't just describe what God being king looks like or will look like one day. He showed people what God being king looks like here and now. Every time he healed somebody, every time he welcomed an outcast, every time he fed the hungry, every time he raised the dead, every time he cast out demons, right? Every time he shouted down the religious elite. He was showing what the kingdom of God looks like. Now, that sounds neat and tidy, but like, to be honest with you, it gets a little bit confusing. And I'm going to pin this totally on Jesus. This is, not, this is not me confusing it. This is him. Go read the Gospels, right? You'll see kingdom everywhere, and then you'll be scratching your head. Because we, we like things spelled out clearly. That's just helpful. It's helpful. But Jesus likes to make us think. <laughs> uh, we, we prefer things to be like kind of detailed out with like mathematical precision, but Jesus seems to always like a little more mystery than we're comfortable with. So he talks about the kingdom of God, um, and other New Testament writers do the same thing uh, in four different ways. And this is Derek Morphew, his book, his, his, his book called Breakthrough. He kind of sums it up like this. He says, Jesus talks about that the kingdom will come, has come, is coming immediately, and will be delayed. What? And again, this isn't Morphew's fault, and it's not my fault. This is just how Jesus talks about it. The kingdom of God will come, has come, is coming immediately, and will be delayed. The kingdom is both present and future. It is both here in the present moment and coming a few minutes down the road. Like, confusing? Are you confused? That's okay. Is it mysterious to you? Well, like, welcome to the Jesus party. It's just how he rolls, wine and mystery. Now, I'm going to help make a little bit of sense of this, hopefully. Um, I've got a couple of illustrations. Anybody here a visual learner like me? If I can see something illustrated out, it just sort of makes, it at least makes sense why it doesn't make sense, okay? So diagram one, this is like a linear view of time and reality. We, we, view, we view time as like a, sequence, a sequential line. Um, this is kind of just our default understanding of everything. Everything is very linear. 10 o'clock comes before 11 o'clock and never before, and things that happen at different times do not happen at the same time, except this moment feels really weird because of daylight savings time, right? So internally, you feel that confusion already, right? Your body is saying it's one time, and all the clocks say it's a different time. Now, in scriptural terms, though, this is what we, we might call this age, that we're living in currently. This is the present. Bible uses this phrase sometimes, this age. Um, and eventually, as time goes along in a line, it will lead up to the age to come. Uh, this is like the future, right? When Christ returns and puts all things to rights. And this shift happens at what scholars call the parousia. This is your only Greek word today, I promise you. Say parousia. It's an easy one. And all this is, this is a Greek word that's for, uh, meant as like a placeholder for the second coming of Christ into the world, right? So this is our general linear understanding. There's this age, second coming of Christ happens, now we're in the new age, right? Like in like an instant. Um, look, that is then, this is now, and, and so until he returns, we're just kind of stuck with not much more to do other than like hopefully twiddle our thumbs, you know until he shows back up. Now, thankfully, uh, I don't think this is true. 
I don't think this is the way that it is. There's a different way to understand the picture that the Bible actually paints, and that helps us make sense of when Jesus talks about that the kingdom uh, will come, has come, is coming immediately, and will be delayed. And this is, this is through a kingdom view of time and reality. Jump to the second one. Kingdom view of time and reality. What we have here is, is a view of reality that results in the overlap of this age and the age to come. Does this make sense to you? Right? Look at this. So, so the first coming of Christ is here with the cross, his birth, ministry, death and resurrection. And then there's the parousia, there's his second coming, which does kind of finish some things off. But we can think about it like this. Think about the first coming of Christ like D-Day. This is D-Day. Christ invaded the beaches of enemy-occupied territory, established a beachhead, and guaranteed eventual victory. That's what the cross accomplished. That's what his death and resurrection accomplished. Now, the second coming of Christ, the parousia, we can, we can think of this as being VE Day, the end of the war. This is when he returns. He'll finally defeat Satan, sin, and death for forever and, and put everything to rights. Now, here's where the good news gets really spicy, is that you are here. This is where we live, in between the times. Can we all agree that the cross was in the past, as we understand it? Can we all agree that his second coming is in the future? Yeah. So we're living in between these two times. Um, what scholars call this is the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God, that both of these are active realities here and now. The kingdom of God is already here. The kingdom of God is not yet here. So whether we realize it or not, whether we've woken up to this reality or not, we live in the overlap of the ages. We live in this space where the kingdom of God has already come and has not yet come fully. The kingdom will come, has come, is coming immediately, and will be delayed. And the invitation of Christ to every single one of us is to follow him into this reality. And this, this I think, helps us understand a whole lot of different things, right? Like, why sometimes do we pray for the sick and they're healed and sometimes they're not? Well, when they are healed, that is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is already present. And then sometimes they're not because the kingdom of God is still not here yet. We're still living in enemy-occupied territory between D-Day and V-Day. But it's a super exciting place to live. Now, and the implications of this are profound. People have written entire doctoral theses on this kind of thing and entire books on these kinds of things. Um, but let's just consider a few practical implications of what this means for us, right? This means that uh, another phrase that scholars use is that we live in light of the future. We can choose in our minds and in our, our, our practices, are we gonna bank more on the fact that we're living in this age or are we gonna bank more on that we're living in the age to come, Right? What's your mindset going to be? What's your point of view and your perspective of the world going to be, right? The invitation of Jesus is to constantly lean upward, right? To fix our eyes on the age to come, for watch for those moments when it might break in. To pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as in heaven. 
And that's an actual possibility because of this. We can live in the presence of the future. We can engage with the world as though the kingdom is breaking in and we can watch for the situations in which it does. Now, here's just one really simple example. I, I just, I love this. So Revelation 21, brief little bit of context. Revelation 21, this is the very tail end of John's visions that he got on the island of Patmos. And, and most of the book of Revelation, it's a letter written to like actual human beings that are just trying to live in a really crazy time um, and it's meant to encourage them. Most of it is not future, but towards the end, we actually do get these glimpses of the kingdom coming in its fullness. These are glimpses of VE day, right? And just the first four verses of this are good enough for us today. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth, first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea, which resembles chaos, by the way. I think there'll still be oceans, no chaos. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Now again, what, would, what I think would be, this is an aside, not in my notes, what I think would be the saddest place to, to live would be to see this as just a complete like, well, one day off in the great by and by, hopefully this will actually happen. But today it's cold and rainy on stupid daylight savings time, and my cat threw up on the floor. You know, like, all the things. All the things. Now, but I think there's more hope in it. We can access this hope. We can live in the present in light of the future. We can reach forward into the future and pull it into the present. Now, John's initial readers, like, they didn't need him to state the obvious, right? They didn't need him to say that the world is full of sorrow and sickness, death and crying and pain. Nor do you need me to tell you that the world hasn't changed much since then. What his readers did need to tell him, and what I am here to tell you today, is that the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things has passed away. Or if we're going to be truthful to like this mysterious kingdom language that Jesus loves, the old order will pass away, has passed away, is passing away immediately and will be delayed. <laughs> point, point being this, that the gospel of the kingdom tells us that we do not need to simply wait it out. We don't need to simply like hold on by our fingernails until the end, that here and now, because it's already present, we can experience and extend the inbreaking rule and reign of God. When we do things like whenever we wipe away someone's tears, because that's what he's gonna do at the end, and when we're doing it now, this is inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Whenever we bring healing and health to someone, whether by science or by miracle, we are living in light of the future. Whenever we mourn with the mourning or we weep with those who weep, 
so that joy has some opportunity to break through. This is making God's dreams come true here and now. Whenever we relieve pain and suffering, whether it's physical suffering or mental suffering or emotional suffering or relational suffering or societal suffering, we're making God's dreams come true. This makes sense? I just got to say, this is a way more fun way to live than before I realized this. It just is. It doesn't make everything squeaky clean. Nothing is more perfect, necessarily. But I've experienced more of God's kingdom breaking in. Now, moving on from here, right? We're, we're talking about prayer. Well, okay, Roger, like, how does this, how might this affect the way that I pray. If I were to ask Jesus today, Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray as already not yet people, what does that look like? How do, how do already not yet people pray? I'm gonna give you guys two prayer practices today. All right, you guys ready for this? This is super practical time. If all that heady stuff and diagrams like confused you, just ignore it. Two simple prayer practices. You can just try them. I'm going to give you an already prayer. I'm going to give you a not yet prayer. I'm going to give you one for praying, like you're living in the future age. I'm going to give you another prayer to pray, like when it just feels like you're stuck in the present age. Because we're in between the times. Now, this first already prayer... Um, a lot of you guys are already familiar with this. This is the Vineyard five-step prayer model. How many of you guys have ever been through a training here where we've talked about the five-step prayer model? Okay, like 20 of us. Good. The other like 45 of you or something, like here's the crash course. Um, it's not a formula, right? So it's not a magic formula, but it's a really helpful guide. And this is in particular when we're praying on somebody, right? When we're, they're right there in front of us. Um, in a few minutes when we do prayer ministry at the end, this is what's happening week in and week out. When we pray for one another in small groups, this is what's happening. When they're praying for folks in the food pantry, this is what's happening. All right? Super duper simple. Step one, ask. And you just ask somebody, like, hey, how can I pray for you? Right? We're not assuming that we know what they need, uh, but we ask simple, short, open-ended questions that they can answer however they want. Right? Like, how can I pray for you? What's wrong? Where does it hurt? Whatever. And we just listen. We're not, we're not jumping in with what we already know to pray. We're, we're just listening, and we're listening to the Spirit. So number one, ask. Step number two, invite. This is where we pause before we start praying, and the, the good old vineyard mantra that we stole from some Catholics from like a 1,000 years ago, come Holy Spirit. How many of you guys ever been prayed for here, and you heard someone say, come Holy Spirit? How many of you guys, the first time you heard that, you were like, What? I kind of remember it. I remember the first Vineyard Church we stepped into and folks would pray this. And I'm like, I don't, what does that mean? Isn't he already here? But yes, something happens when we invite him and we make him feel welcome and we're opening ourselves up to the spirit. We're inviting the Holy Spirit to come and minister in that situation. It's not our power that's going to affect anything. It's the Holy Spirit, right? We just want more of him. And so invite him out loud, right? Say this out loud. Right? Especially if they, pray, they ask for some crazy prayer that you're like, I don't even know how to pray for this. Well, you've got your first sentence locked and loaded. Come Holy Spirit. 
It's good for you. It's good for them. We're blessing what he's doing. We're just inviting him in to do more. Now, number three, here we go. This is when we pray. We've asked them, we've listened, we've invited the Holy Spirit, we've listened, and now we pray. This is the moment we've been waiting for, right? And if we've done a decent job of not rushing into this moment, we stand a better chance of seeing God actually move in powerful ways. Um, And in, in this prayer, we want to pray simply and directly. We want to pray for the specific issue. Uh, no, no fluff, no like vagary, right? We sometimes cacophonize our own prayers with a whole lot of unnecessary chatter, right? God, I thank you for this day and thank you for the rain and it's so wonderful. And even though it's cold outside, we know that it brings new life and thank you that Jesus died for our sins. Like all that's good and true, not what the person asked for prayer for, right? So we're moving on. Uh, we pray with authority. We, we, pray, we pray like like Jesus did, right? When, when he saw somebody who couldn't see, he would say, like, open your eyes, you know? Or, or somebody was, like, lame and crippled and they couldn't walk, and he would just go, walk. This is how Jesus prayed, man. Dead person, get up. It's bananas, right? And we think we, we don't have to make it more complicated than that. Because the same authority that Jesus had, we have. The same in-between of Jesus is where we live. The in-breaking of the kingdom doesn't need a whole lot of encouragement. We tell our kids, when we were, when, especially when we were teaching our kids when they were younger how to pray like this, we would just say, pray like you're the boss. Right? I mean, you're not the boss, but you've been commissioned by the boss, so pray like you're the boss. Right? Tell the condition to do what you want it to do. Tell that pain to go where you want it to go. It's not a name it and claim it kind of thing. It's not magic. But we're in the already, so sometimes it happens. And we're not yet, so sometimes it doesn't happen. But we pray like we're the boss. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. Can I tell you guys a really embarrassing story? And this is just, man, this is a freebie here. I wasn't going to tell this story, but it's worthwhile. So... When we were doing church in North Carolina, for a hot minute, we, we were in this funky basement of a bank, and, and up at the front, there wasn't like room up here for prayer ministry, and so we would do prayer ministry like in the back, right? The worship team would be playing, and we'd say, if you want prayer, go to the back. So one week, um, this young lady comes to visit. Turns out she was like on staff at a vineyard church um, somewhere up in Illinois, and she was on vacation, but also like a little bit of sabbatical. She'd been really burned out and, and just needed some a refresher, and somehow ended up in North Carolina. I don't remember why, and, and found out about our church. And so she comes to church, and, and, and uh, it's just like, this is great. So we do the service, like things are happening, and, and we like say, hey, here's some things for maybe some prayer ministry, and maybe people respond, maybe they don't. And we're worshiping, and I can hear the people in the back are beginning to pray. And, and I was like, well, I'll just go back there, and I'll just check and see how it's going, right? And I can hear some crying, so I'm like, well, something's happening. That's cool. And so I walk back to the back. I swear, man, this is true. These things happen. I walk back to the back, and, and I see one of our, our people right here with their hands, like, they probably said, like, can I put my hand on your shoulder, right? They do the thing. One person's praying, praying right here with their hand on her shoulder. The other person's praying right here with a hand on their shoulder. And they're both like this, squinted eyes, not looking, just praying. Like, they look like they mean it. 
Meanwhile, this young lady, I mean, she's broken. She was in such like a heavy place. And I still don't know what God was doing. I didn't ask questions after this for reasons you'll understand. She's like hunched over, right? She's just racked with like emotional pain. She's hunched over. They're like this, eyes squinted, not paying attention. She's hunched over like this. And I can see snot dripping out of her nose, like a foot and a half down. And I was just like, guys, come on, like save her dignity just a little bit by opening your eyes. Nobody ran to get her a tissue or like anything. So if you're getting prayer, you be the one to close your eyes. If you're praying for people, open your eyes. You might see signs of what God's doing. You might also save someone's dignity a little bit. So there you go. Pro tips from Roger. Number four, after the snot, check in. I guess they finally figured this out if they did the check-in stage. You check in with them. Would you like a tissue? Right? But you ask questions like, what are you experiencing? What are you experiencing? What's God doing? Do you sense God doing anything in you? And if he is, they will share that and it will just like explode out of them. And then you might have more that you know to pray for. Oh my gosh, wow, that is powerful. That's so beautiful. Like, can we pray more for that? Yes. And then they'll start to walk away and you're like, no, 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 like right now. Can we pray more now? Then you cycle back through this, right? You ask again what's going on. You invite the Holy Spirit some more. You pray, you check in, you keep her eyes open the whole time. Is that clear? Okay. And then the fifth step is how do you wrap it all up? It's just some next steps. How we end a prayer session with people is really, really important. And so there might be further prayer needed, right? They, they might need to come back during the week and get further prayer. Maybe you pray for someone more for the thing on a small group. Maybe they need to meet with uh, uh, some, some pastor or something like that. Just whatever. Maybe they need further prayer. This is not an opportunity for counseling. This is important to say. Leave people with whatever God did in that moment, right? Don't confuse it all with your own great ideas about what to do next. Just let the Holy Spirit rest on them. It'll be beautiful. So this is a great already prayer. Make sense? Good. As MM says, go fight, win. Now, I want to give you guys, this is an already prayer, particularly because of step three, right? When we can pray with authority, when we can speak to conditions and situations, when we can step in and pray simple things like Jesus did to cause change to happen. But we also need a not yet prayer. So what I want to propose to you guys today, I want to share this with you. Because what do we do when we're not seeing breakthrough? How, how do we pray in such a way that accepts not only God's miraculous activity, but God's apparent inactivity? Now, I, I, I understand what I'm saying here. Am I saying that God sometimes ignores us? No. Am I saying that God sometimes is absent? No. Am I saying that God sometimes is inactive and, in, and disinterested? No. But does it sometimes feel that way? This is where you can answer aloud. Does it sometimes feel that way? Yes. So how do we, if we're going to be true biblical people, if we're going to be people who truly fall in the way of Christ himself, it's important for us to have a theology of suffering. If we're going to continue to trust in God's goodness, even when things are not good, then we must develop within ourselves like a holy detachment, meaning like, like a letting go of outcomes, Entrusting, entrusting any outcomes entirely into the hands of our Father who art in heaven. 
You know this, this is interesting. Aside from the Lord's Prayer, there's another time in which Jesus mentions the Father's will within the context of prayer. When he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. It's the flip side of that same prayer coin, right? That was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of his own betrayal and arrest. And of course, it turned out that it was not God's will to take that cup of suffering away from him. But even there, Jesus models for us, how do, how do we pray even in that kind of dark space? So we need not yet prayers as well as already prayers. We need to still be able to pray, not my will, but yours be done. So would you guys stand with me? And we're going to pray one more time as we close. Worship team, you guys can make your way back up. Uh, Some of you guys, if you came to uh, any of the Ash Wednesday daytime prayers at least, you probably encountered this prayer. This is called the welcoming prayer. It's called the welcoming prayer written by Father Thomas Keating. And as we close, I just want to invite us to pray this together. So pray with me. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open to the love and presence of God and God's action within. Amen.